Well, good morning. Hey, it's great to be uh, with my church family this morning. If you're a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. Hey, we're glad, so glad you're here. And uh, if you're watching online, glad you are tuned in as well. Uh, we are in our series, uh, Suit Up, Fighting Back Against the Devil's Schemes. And um, we're studying Ephesians 6 and more specifically what Paul refers to as the armor of God. Each week we've been studying a piece of this armor, this equipment, this weaponry that Paul tells us about so that we can fight back against our spiritual enemy, the devil, so that we can take our stand and walk in victory uh, against him. Um, and so uh, week one, we talked about truth, right? We talked about the belt of truth. We said everything is, you know, the rest of this armor uh, was, was, was connected to the truth. So it makes sense that Paul would start with truth. It has to start with God's word. It has to start with being grounded uh, in, in, in God's word if we're going to walk in victory. Uh, because ultimately, it's not about trying harder. It's not about doing more things. It's about believing the truth of God's word and claiming it for our lives. That's how you win the battle against the enemy and overcome the world, okay? Um, by the way, Pastor Josh this summer, he's excited. He's going to be teaching a four-week class, theology class. Uh, he's going to be dealing with the subjects of God's word, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's going to be teaching, but there's also going to be time for discussion and we're excited about that because we want you to be grounded in the truth. We want you to be grounded in God's word. It really is how we, uh, we, we, we walk in victory. So we talked about truth week one. Week two, we talked about the righteousness of God. We said this is not our righteousness. This is the righteousness secured for us by Jesus Christ. Jesus is sufficient to be the sacrifice who earns a righteousness for us. That's how we um, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Um, and, and then uh, last week we talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Jesus said, I give you my peace. Just before he went to the cross, I give you my peace. In this world, you will have troubles. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And so he wants us to put on the shoes of the gospel and walk and live in peace, to live in victory. Which brings us this week uh, to, to the shield of faith. Let me go ahead and read verse 16 for you. Uh, again, this is from Ephesians 6. Paul says, in addition to all this, all these things that we just talked about, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the devil. So, so notice that the devil is shooting arrows your way every day. He's shooting arrows. And these aren't just arrows. These are flaming arrows. These are arrows that are on fire that are meant to light your life up. Meant to light your life on, on fire. Okay, what, what do these flaming arrows represent? Well, we talked about it last week. It's the lies of the enemy. It's the voice of Satan talked about this last week. Satan's going to speak fear into your life. It's one of the arrows he wants to shoot at every single one of us. He wants you to be afraid. He wants you living in fear, fear of what you see happening in the world, fear of what you see happening in America or our culture, fear of what you see happening on the news. He wants you living in fear, and if he can get you living in fear, he can light your life 
on fire, almost a kind of hell on earth. He wants to shoot confusion into your life. He'll speak confusion into your life. He doesn't want you knowing which way is up. He doesn't want you knowing which way is down. He doesn't want you knowing what is right. He doesn't want you knowing what is wrong. He wants you making terrible life decisions that will light your life on fire. We talked about discouragement. He's going to speak discouragement into your life. You're not qualified for that. You can't do that. There's no way someone like you going to make that happen. I mean, he's going to speak all kinds of discouragement into your life. And then lastly, we, we talked about condemnation. Ultimately, he'll speak condemnation into your life. Satan actually means adversary or accuser. He loves to come into your life and say, I know what you've done. I know about that. How could God love someone like you? Why would God want someone like you to be a part of his kingdom? He will speak that into your life. That's what he wants to speak in. This is the voice of Satan. These are his flaming arrows. If he can get you to, 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 if you get hit with that, if you're not protected from that, your life is going to be on fire. You're going to find yourself dealing with all kinds of anxiety, all kinds of worry, and ultimately your life will, your life will be lit up with despair and hopelessness. Okay. So what do we do? Well, we have to take up the shield of faith. We have to take up the shield of faith. Now, the shield of faith, keep in mind, Paul has a Roman soldier in mind here. This is all Roman equipment that we've said is superior. If we are putting on the full armor of God, we don't have to be afraid of our spiritual enemy. This is, this is I mean, this is supernatural armor that, um, you know, for, for the Romans, it, it made them undefeatable. Uh, and in the same way, if we'll put it on, we will be undefeatable. So this shield is, is, um, is different from all the other shields of the first century. You know, the other shields uh, the, the average warrior is using is made out of wood. Well, well, how do you think wood, a wooden shield, works against an arrow that's on fire? Not well. That, that, that shield's going to go up and leave you a sitting duck, okay? But the Roman shield was different. The Roman shield, yes, it used two to three sheets of plywood at its core, but then it was wrapped in a piece of canvas and then wrapped in a piece of leather, okay, or hide. And they would wrap it in that uh, so that when the arrow hit it, it would actually extinguish the flame. Couldn't burn their shield up. Again, Again, this is a superior piece of equipment that we have that Paul wants us to know. We have superior equipment against our spiritual enemy, um, the, the devil, okay? And, and so he's saying you got you to gotta take up uh, this shield that will actually extinguish that, that flame in, in your, your life, protecting you. Now, here's what I've realized, though. A lot of people today in the church, right, even in the church, they're not necessarily taking up the shield of faith. They're taking up one of these faulty shields, a wooden shield, a shield that's just going to burn up in the end. Paul does not tell us to take up the shield of feelings. If you're taking notes, I put this in your handout. This is what many people today do. It's, it's the shield of feelings. It's what do I feel? But what do you do when the feelings aren't there? Because there are going to be times in your life where the, where the feelings aren't, aren't there. Now, don't get me wrong. Emotions aren't a bad thing in and of themselves. Jesus had emotions. 
Uh, Jesus um, experienced, you know, sadness. He wept when Lazarus died. He got, uh, he rejoiced at times. He got angry when the money changers in the temple were taking advantage of people who wanted to come and worship God. So we see emotion. But, but if we're basing our relationship with God and on the hope that we have in his name on how we feel, That's a recipe for disaster. That's a recipe for despair. It's a recipe for hopelessness because there are going to be days where we don't feel it. You know, there's going to be days where we battle with things like depression or anxiety or all other kinds of emotions. It's interesting that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, you know, he parts the Red Sea and Israel comes through and then the waters cave in on their enemy, crushing, you know, the, the, the Egyptian army. And Israel must have rejoiced. They must have said, whoa, look at what God has done. They must have rejoiced. That must have been such a time of, of celebration. But then a few days later, they're saying, Moses, did you bring us out here to die? Because God led them into the wilderness. And now they weren't seeing it. Now they weren't feeling it. And so they began to grumble and they began to complain against God and against Moses, his representative, and yet one of the reasons God wants to take us into the wilderness sometimes where we don't feel it, where we don't see it, is because he wants to deepen our faith. He doesn't want us trusting in our feelings. He wants us trusting in, in him. Um, and yet I see this with a, sometimes with new Christians, people who are new to the faith. They get all excited because uh, God breaks chains in their life and they're super, you know, excited about what God has done. But I always want to caution, like, you need to be careful. You need to be careful because that high will not necessarily last forever. And, and, and when that happens, are you grounded enough in God's word to know what his word says so you're still trusting God even when the feelings aren't there and not becoming discouraged and maybe even walking away from, from the faith. You could think of it like a tree. You know, a tree that always gets water will be the first tree that's going to topple in a storm. Why? Because its roots are shallow. But the tree that has to go through some droughts and some tough seasons, that, that's the tree whose roots dig deep and it has to dig and, and, and seek out those nutrients in the water it needs. But that's the tree when the storms come that's still standing. In the same way, God is going to take you through wilderness moments, friends, wilderness seasons, because he wants to teach you to dig your roots deep in his word, in his presence. So even when the feelings aren't there, your faith remains intact. So this is the first shield. Don't take up. We don't take up a shield of feeling. The second shield I've mentioned, we don't take up a shield of what I call fatalism. And fatalism is just when you say, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be like this. Nothing's going to change. Yes, I, I read God's word. It's kind of an intellectual exercise. And I like the stories and I like the teachings, how I should live. But I don't really believe God's going to do anything. I don't really believe God's going to change anything. Maybe it's even, you know, Pastor, don't try to give me hope for this thing in my life. You know, it's, uh, it's a fatalistic um, uh, uh, approach. And it's a defense mechanism for people to protect them from maybe getting their hopes, you know, shattered. 
But, it, but here's the reality. At some point, you're going to need God to show up in your life. At some point, you are going to need God. When, when, when Israel goes through the wilderness, there came a point where God said, now it's time to go into the promised land. And they were a puny army. They were going to need God to fight their battles uh, for them. And if they just had the fatalistic approach, well, this just isn't the way the world works. Smaller armies don't defeat great fortresses and bigger nations. That just doesn't happen, so they'd still be in the wilderness. And that's the problem with the fatalistic approach. You never move into or experience what God ultimately wants for your life. So Paul doesn't say take up the shield of feeling. He doesn't say take up the shield of fatalism. God, uh, Paul tells us here, take up the shield of faith. And notice that you have to take it up. You have to take it up. There's a human component to this. You've got to exercise trust in God and his word. And so that's what I want to talk about with the rest of our time today. What is it exactly that I need to trust? What are the essentials that I need to trust if I am going to be protected from the fiery arrows of the enemy and if I'm going to live the victorious life God has called me to, okay? Let me give us a few, few things. We've, it's, it's absolutely essential we trust. Here's the first one. I've got to trust who God says I am. This is your identity, all right, in Christ. You've got to trust who God says you are. It was interesting, these shields, they, they, they would often put designs on them that would make it clear to the enemy who they were. So you knew that was a Roman soldier you were going against because you saw the Roman design on their shield. And it was meant to strike fear in the enemy. And I would also assume that if you were a Roman and you've got the superior army and equipment, it probably empowered you as well. Saying, this is who I am. I am, I am a Roman. Uh, and, and in fact, later shields would eventually have like family crests and even quadrants where they'd put, you know, different things that represented that family or that clan in those quadrants. You know, if it was, if it was my clan, it'd probably have a big slab of bacon, right? Like across it, you know, be the, the clan of the halls, right? Big slab of bacon right there. But it was to tell the enemy something about you. In the same way, we take up our shield of faith against the enemy to remind him who we are and to remind ourselves. This is who I am. That's who I am. I'm telling you, when you show him <laughs> who you are, it puts fear in the enemy. It puts fear in the enemy. So let me just give you a few examples, some things. The Bible says who you are. I've talked about some of these things recently. I just want to echo them. This is the most important, in my opinion. I've been talking a lot about this one. First thing I got to know about who I am. I am righteous. Who am I? I am righteous before God. You believe that? Sinner and all? 2 Corinthians 5.21, I've been trying to show you a bunch of scriptures, because so many of us grew up and never even heard this. It said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the what? <laughs> the righteousness of God. There it is, right in the scriptures, okay? I mean, um, this is what I talked about last week, the great exchange. Jesus, he absorbs all of our sin and therefore the curse and the wrath that comes with that. And we, he doesn't just take, he gives us something. We receive the righteous, perfect standing of Christ, credited to our spiritual account. That's what you get. Which means even when you're at your worst, 
Your worst day as a Christian. Who are you? You are righteous before God. He looks on you and still sees perfection. Not because of you, but because of what Christ did for you. Our confidence is not in ourselves. Our confidence is in Jesus. Do you see why we worship him? Friends, this is a free gift that covers us and protects us. When we are at our worst, it means, makes us safe before him. I, I showed you a few weeks ago, you know, the story of David, Goliath, and Israel, and how the Old Testament was foreshadowing this teaching, foreshadowing and preparing us for this truth, because it's so earth-shattering. God was preparing us. Can you think of any other story in the Old Testament where maybe God was trying to teach us that he was going to clothe us in something that would cover over our shame? Think of any other Old Testament story? How about the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? Remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden? They sin against God. They, they eat the forbidden fruit. And it says, they be, whoa, they become aware that they're naked and they become ashamed in the garden. And so, so, so what do they do? They, they make fig leaves. They take fig leaves and try to create clothing for themselves. Remember this? This story is not trained to teach you why you wear clothes. We know why we wear clothes. We need the, we need the pockets, okay? That's where you're going to put your car keys. If... No, it, secondarily, very secondarily, maybe it's trying to tell us we're clothes. That is, it's trying to teach us the gospel here. Okay, because you remember the fig leaves, what, what do the fig leaves represent? Self-righteousness, attempts to prove ourselves before God, attempts to cover over our own shame and our own nakedness. It's attempt to us to try to do something, but they're mere fig leaves. What happens when a gust of wind comes and you're wearing fig leaves? It, it, it's like Marilyn Monroe, right? Like, ah! So what does God do? Well, that tells us. This is in Genesis 3.21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. And what? He clothed them. Now, notice two things about this. God did it. God gave them superior clothing. Way better than animal skins. God provided it. Two, a sacrifice had to be made. Animal had to die. Okay, had to be slaughtered so that they could have this. Okay, this is, when you see how the scriptures all the way back from the garden were trying to set us up, you see what some have called the scarlet thread that runs through the Bible. Friends, it should in strengthen your faith. <laughs> Do you see the beauty of the Bible? Do you see the beauty of this? First thing I need to know is I am righteous before God. When God looks on me, even when I'm at my worst, what does he see? He sees perfection. I'm clothed in something he has provided for me, okay? Secondly, it means I am loved. I showed you this verse last week, but I want to repeat it because I could tell even as I was quoting it last week, I could tell minds were being renewed and lives were being transformed. Like, I never heard that sight of God. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. What is God doing right now? Because you're clothed in Christ, he is delighting in you. He is rejoicing over you. He is singing over you right now. Very different than what some of us heard and grew up hearing about 
how God relates to us. Some of us are just waiting for God to strike us down and live like that. It says, no, he's delighting in you. He's rejoicing over you. Danielle and I love to go up to the North Shore as often as we can. We love to just sit on Lake Superior and just hear those waves come crashing in. Just that. Right? That beautiful, wonderful sound of just the water. And one of the things we like to do is we like to just picture that that's God's way of telling us about his love. That every time those waves come in, it's, I love you. I love you. I love you, Brent. I love you, Danielle. I love you. Put your name in there. <laughs> how wide, how deep is this love that God has for us? It's beyond our understanding. We, we can't wrap our minds around how much he loves us. And we need to take up our shield of faith and remind the enemy we are loved. God is committed to me. God has a faithful love towards me, even when I don't feel like it. Even when the depression is there. I know I am loved. Okay. And then I'll give you one more. I am planned. I, I am planned. Okay. Uh, some of us grew up and we looked around at our siblings, right? And we said, it's clear you weren't planned, right? And then you found out none of you were planned. You were all happy little accidents, right? Well, your parents might not have planned you, but God planned you. God planned you to be born into such a time as this. Look at Acts 17, 26. It says, from one man he made all the nations, talking about Adam there, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. God planned when you would be born and where you would be born. God has a plan for your life. You were born for such a time as this. Do you realize your kids, some of us see our kids are growing up in such a tough time. Yeah, but they were planned to be born into such a time as this so that we can be a light when God foreordained we'd be born and where we'd be born into. Okay, there's like, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Our children's born in one's youth. Our children, that's what they are. They're weapons of love in a hurting world. And that's it's God's providence. It's God's design that they would be born when, when they were. So when I remind my, myself of these things, friends, the enemy sees this. He's righteous. He's, he's loved. He, he's planned. I mean, you remind yourself of this. It strikes fear into the heart of the enemy. Again, not because of what you've done or what you've accomplished, but because of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And that is a powerful, powerful thing to walk in. First thing is I need to know who I am. I got to trust who I am. Secondly, though, I need to trust in the promises of God, not just in my identity. I need to trust in what does God say is true for my life and that he promises to do for my life. Again, let me give you a few examples. If you're taking notes, put this in there. God is with me. This is the first promise. I need to know that God is with me. Joshua 1.9 says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. This is a command, friends. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. 
For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God is, God is with you right now if you are in Christ. He's with you, comforting, willing to bring comfort if you'll listen, to speak truth into your life, and to strengthen you and to fight your battles for you. Some of you are in battles right now. You're going to have battles this week. So I am with you. You can walk courageously into whatever that battle is. I will fight for you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Friends, is that not good news? Our God comes and dwells with us and lives with us. I would say it's the heart of the gospel right there that we get God. And so I can trust that God is with me. Also, I can trust that God is for my good. I can trust that God is for my good. Romans 8.28, this is my favorite verse. It's my greatest fighter verse in all the Bible. It says, and we know that in all things, not some things, not some things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what this is saying is that God takes the worst things that happen to us in life. He takes even our own mistakes. And he takes it and he flips it and he uses it for our good. This is an amazing promise. For me, this is the verse that taught me how to fight against the enemy because coming out of my past, I had been so plagued by the enemy. I had been so tormented for over a decade. Just depression, anxiety, because I was just constant. I know it had taught me how to fight. And he just kept telling me I was condemned. He just kept telling me about the mistakes I made, reminding me over and over about it. And then finally, I came across this verse in my quiet time. And I realized what it was saying, that God, in my understanding, you crazy? you're going to take... My mistakes, you're going to take the things that have happened to me and the, 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 the tragic things that have happened in my life and you're going to turn it and you're going to use it for my good? Is that what you're saying? God's like, yes, that's what I'm saying. And I'm in the parking lot of the college I'm in just being tormented, walking in depression and the enemy shows up to want to remind me and I said, listen to this, Satan, no matter what you do to me, my God will take it, flip it, and he's going to use it for my good. So what could, can you do to me? It's how you fight. What can he do? If everything he tries to do in your life and God just takes it and uses it for a greater good in your life, what in the world is he going to do to you? You see how this causes him to rage? Because he can't defeat God. It's what God's doing in our life. And God just keeps taking it, keep taking his tax, keep taking it, and just turns it and flips it. And uses it for if you need an example of this, the greatest example, of course, is the cross itself. Satan puts Jesus up on the cross. It was the darkest day in humanity. And we killed God. But then God took it, he flipped it, and he turned it into the salvation for all who would believe. <laughs> you think that doesn't make Satan rage? See, see, Satan is playing checkers, our God is playing chess. And what are you going to do against the wisdom of God, Satan? And that is good, good, good news. 
Something we often say here at Edinburgh is God can take your greatest misery, he can turn it into your greatest ministry. And he has done that with me. Why can I get up here and teach you how to fight and teach you how to do these things? Because, friends, I walked through hell on earth for a season. But what did God do? He took it, he flipped it, and he turned it into something for my good so that I've learned how to fight and I can help others fight too. He works out all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Man, that is a good promise, friends. Let me give you one more. God restores. God restores. I love this verse too. This helped me. It's helped me so many times over the years. It says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. By the way, the locusts here represent the army that came against them and destroyed them. That was the locusts. Not literal locusts. Talking about, you know, the, the... foreign armies that came and just demolished Israel because of their sin. Sin has consequences. God allowed it. Sin has consequences when we turn away from God. But then what does he do? He speaks in Israel and says, listen, listen, listen. If you'll put your trust in me, if you'll turn back to me, listen. All that pain you experienced, all that hurt you experienced, listen, I will repay you what you lost. Is that not a gracious, merciful God? That is a gracious, merciful God. Many of us, I just, do we know this God? Even your greatest sin, even the mistakes that have cost you the most, I'm going to make it up to you. You turn back to me. That's how good I am. I love my God. You love your God? I love my God. He's so good. Oh, these are the promises that he gives us in his word. Man, this caused Satan to rage when we take up our shield. Okay, but let me, let me bring to the last one. Last thing we need to trust. It's essential. I need to trust that God can change things. And if you have the fatalistic approach, if you have the fatalistic approach in life, this one is especially relevant for you, that, that God wants to do a work in your life and do a work through your life, and he wants to change things in you and through you and for you. Starting today. There's a story where Jesus goes to his hometown, Nazareth, where he grew up, up, and the people, it says, take offense at him because they're like, why are all these people following Jesus? We we grew up with this guy. We know his parents. We don't remember seeing anything special in this Jesus. Why are all these people following him? And it says they took offense, and so that's where Jesus makes the statement, you know, only in his hometown does a prophet have no honor. But then right after he says that, he says this in Matthew 13, 58, or Matthew tells us this. It says, and he did not do many miracles there. Why? Because of their lack of faith. And see, the implication is he would have, he would have blown their minds. He would have done some pretty radical things. But he couldn't do it there because of their lack of faith. How terrible that'd be to stand before God one day and find out that God wanted to do all these things in your life, through your life, for your life, but you missed out because you weren't willing to exercise faith. Trust him for that. You know, we've been encouraging you the last several weeks to come down after service and receive prayer if you need prayer for anything. People have been doing that. And friends, we've been hearing all kinds of incredible stories. My wife is one of them. She came, she came down for prayer. 
She was having lower back pain. It was causing her not even to be able to pick up our four-year-old Callie. Came down. She said some weird things happened in her body that I'm not going to get into. And her lower back pain went away, and she's able to pick up Callie pain-free. Oh, yeah, we can apply. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and there's been many of these other stories. There's been many of these kinds of stories. Uh, another person here at the church, you know, she's been having us pray for her leg. The doctor's like, you're going to have to have surgery. The doctor just told her this week, I'm not so sure you need surgery anymore. Yeah, that's it. These are people <laughs> very close, all right? This is my wife. This is in my home. This is, I'm living this, okay? Because people came forward for, for, for prayer, Now, I want, to be, I want to give a caveat here. You know, it doesn't mean God's going to give you everything you want. It doesn't mean we're always going to see miracles. Uh, I, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul this last week. Remember, we're told he prayed three times that God would take away the thorn in his flesh. And God didn't. But God didn't for a reason. He said, Paul, I am leaving that there because it's going to make you weak. And when you are weak, you are going to be strong because I'm going to be strong in and through you. So he did pray three times. God said, no, I'm not going to do the miracle you've been asking me for and beseeching me to do on your behalf. But let's don't forget God did a hundred other miracles in Paul's life, including raising a man named Eutychus who had died back to life. Uh, I was just reading this last week. When Paul goes onto the island of Malta, he gets bit by a viper. And all the people who live on Malta, they know about this viper and how venomous it is. And they're waiting for Paul to die. And they believe it's because of something wrong he did. He's going to die any minute. And it just says Paul shakes it off. He doesn't even swell up, it says. And the people determine he's a god. (laughs) That's what they think. God did all kinds of other miracles. And just because God says no to one thing doesn't mean there's not other things in our life God wants to do. Are you going to miss out? James says this in James 4, 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And I don't want any of you, I don't want any of you to to miss out. And so we challenge you to come down. And some of you are like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to come down because, because what if people see me coming down and think there's something wrong with me or that there's a need in my life. Welcome to the club. <laughs> Welcome to the club. This is, that's like going to the hospital and being in a hospital bed and gown and being like, I hope nobody thinks I'm sick. <laughs> Friends, we all have needs. We are all in the same boat. If I can say it without you getting offended, we're all pretty jacked up. That's why we need Jesus. And we're all in the same boat. We all need him. And maybe starting today, God wants to do a miracle in your life. I mean, I would just ask you the question, what would it hurt? To ask for prayer. I'm going to end with this verse. This is from Acts 16. I was reading about this as well this week when Paul and Silas were in. They'd been imprisoned for their faith. And listen to what it says. Luke tells us this. He says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What were they doing? Yeah, thank you. One of us was listening. Praying and singing, worshiping. 
And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. I can't wonder if there's some chains that need to come loose today. What were they doing? They were worshiping and they were praying. And that's why it's so good we're here this morning because we get to do just that. We get to worship our God together and we get to pray. And if there's anything you need prayer, I'm not just talking about healing. Some of you need prayer for your marriage or a job situation or some battle you're facing right now. Don't miss out on what God wants to do on your life. But you have to take up your shield of faith. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to get an opportunity to worship and get an opportunity to receive prayer. Can, can we just stand if you're able as we get ready? As you're doing that, I just want to pray. God, I know uh, there's some in here today who they, they need a miracle. They need to, you to show up in their life. We're not going to be a church. We're not going to be a people who live by our feelings. Sometimes we're not going to feel it. Sometimes we're not going to see it, but we're going to trust. We're not going to be a church who believes it's always going to be this way. It's just this way life is. It's just the way the world works. You know, we're going to be a, a church that believes God can step in and change things when he wants to. And so we're going to believe who you tell us we are. We're going to believe in the promises, the amazing promises you give us. And we're going to believe that things can start to change even today, Lord. So breathe. <sighs> breathe your faith into us as your people. And we want you to receive all the glory for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.